Listen to the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'll begin reading in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we, we come in desperate need of this gospel, this good news. We come as people who, who through the headlines, see a, a world torn apart, a world of chaos and danger and violence. We see in our own lives the, the heartache and heartbreak of, of relationships that, that have gone wrong. And Lord, when we stop and listen, when we hear your word and we look at ourselves, we see our own sinfulness, and so we are desperate for forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would help us to obey, to heed the words of Jesus, to repent, and to believe the good news as it's announced to us. Lord, we pray for the the work of the gospel here in, in Wilmington, in northern Delaware, southeastern Pennsylvania. Lord, we pray for will and grace and the the new work that you are beginning in Garnet Valley and Chad's Ford. Lord, we pray that this church would be planted with gospel roots, that it would spring with the hope of the gospel. And Lord, continue to use us as a church to send and support, but also, Lord, to go. Lord, when Jesus calls, let us answer the call. Lord, let us do that work here in our, our jobs, our schools, our community. Let us make the name of Jesus Christ known. Lord, give us comfort, give us hope in your gospel. We come praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Doesn't it seem like a rash decision? I mean, the disciples' decision to follow Jesus. Doesn't it seem like they make it a little too quickly? I mean, Jesus preached a, what Mark tells us here, in summary, a three-sentence sermon. And they heard a one-sentence command, and then it says, at once they left their nets and followed him. I mean, we'd want a Consumer Reports analysis to determine the the cost-benefit of of whether or not this is a good decision. Surely we would want a comparative religions course to decide if if the, the one who stands in front of us, this Jesus, is really worth following. But even then, after all of that, after all of that thought, we, we're still not sure, many of us. Could this really be the right decision for the disciples, for me? And here we have the call of Jesus. And the reality is, there is no other decision that can be made. When Jesus stands in front of you, when you understand who he is, 
And so I want to look at this passage looking first at the, the conflict that's inherent in here, the kingdom, and then the command. All right, now the alliteration works even though when you take notes, I know there's a K thrown in there. But the alliteration, you're listening, so, so the alliteration, conflict, kingdom, command. First, we, the, the very first words of, of the passage that I read almost feel a little bit dismissive. We were introduced to the ministry of, of John the baptizer earlier in this, and so verse 14 begins, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. Um, Mark, that sounds like an important detail. Could we kind of flesh that out? Why was he thrown in prison? What's going on here? The conflict is, is clear. And, and Mark, because he's, he's set the theological stage that John the baptizer is the forerunner, the one who would come before Jesus, he has fulfilled his theological purpose in the first chapter of the gospel. And so Mark will eventually get back to the story. It will come in chapter 6. Although even there in chapter 6, it will be told, as almost an afterthought, oh, right, let me finish the story of what happened to John. John, the last of the Old Testament prophets. John, the great forerunner of Jesus. John will be executed by an evil king. And so the context of conflict is clear here in verse 14. But it's also there not just in what happens to John, but in Jesus' move into Galilee. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. Well, the last place he was was down closer to Jerusalem. He'd been baptized in the Jordan River. He had, he had been tempted in the, in the wilderness. But now he's moved back north where he grew up. It's where he's from. But it's also farther away from the religious establishment in Jerusalem because the religious leaders will not be happy with Jesus and his ministry. And actually, the, the entire way that Mark's gospel is structured, the first half of the gospel takes place in Galilee, and then in chapter 8, Jesus turns toward Jerusalem and goes to Jerusalem, and then we, we feel the conflict building. We see him marching toward his death. That's why he goes. And so the, the geographic march, marker here is, is not just to, to let us know, oh yeah, by the way, he happened to, to go up into Galilee. It's a theological statement that Jesus is in Galilee to proclaim the good news. It's, it's also a reminder that the good news goes to all of the nations. For the closer you got to Jerusalem, the, the, the greater the purity that people would have claimed for, for following Judaism. And yet here in Galilee of the Gentiles, as it's called elsewhere in the scriptures, as it's called in, in ancient literature, the, the nations have gathered here. Even the names of the apostles, we, we find out that they have Greek names. And so the, the influence is significant. And so Jesus has, has gone into Galilee because conflict will follow him, and the closer he gets to Jerusalem, the greater the conflict will be. But we also see in this, in this call of Jesus on the disciples the, the conflict that it, would, that it would place within them. I mean, the decision for the, the disciples as they're called to follow Jesus is to leave everything behind and follow Christ. Leave your boats, leave your families, and follow me. It means putting their entire lives at the disposal of Jesus, making their vocations, their families, secondary to Jesus. And we also are introduced here in this gospel to James. We're told in verse 19, he's the son of Zebedee. He's the brother of John. 
Well, the conflict is inherent here as well. Because as the gospel story unfolds and as we move into the ministry of the church after the the death and resurrection of Jesus, James, this James, will be the first of the apostles to give his life. Acts chapter 12 records his death for us. And so the call of Jesus brings with it an inherent conflict because it's a cosmic conflict. The king of the universe has stepped onto the scene. And so for us, it can create confusion. Why, why would the disciples follow Jesus? Now, the, the other gospels actually give us more context. Remember, I've, I've told you that, that Mark's gospel moves at, at a rapid pace. And so he doesn't stop and explain the stories that the other gospel writers will. The, the gospel of, of Matthew describes a miraculous catch of fish that convinces the disciples that the one who stands before them is more than just an ordinary itinerant preacher. The Gospel of John describes their, their following of John the baptizer and how they knew the, the, the message of repentance and they were anticipating the arrival of Jesus. But here in Mark's Gospel, Mark just, just gives us a one sentence, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Mark doesn't stop to give us all of the explanation. He's willing to, to leave us with a little bit of this confusion. Why? Because he's already told us who Jesus is. He's already proclaimed and announced to us who this Messiah is. And so we feel the conflict. We see it in the historical details of Mark's gospel, but we feel it within ourselves. Is Jesus worth following? Is this the right kind of decision? And so we see the conflict, but then we have the announcement of kingdom. Look at Jesus' sermon there in verse 15. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now these verses, verses 14 and 15, are are meant to be a a summary statement of the purpose of Jesus' ministry. We saw last week that the opening 13 verses are, are essentially a prologue, an introduction to Jesus. And so verses 14 and 15 are, are essential. Verse 15 becomes for us the theme of this gospel. The time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now when we think of a kingdom, we think of perhaps castles and we think of a geographic location. We think of the place where the king is. But biblically, this language of kingdom is more about the activity of God. It's about his active reign and rule. It's the kingship of Jesus. Jesus is saying the king is here. The kingdom is upon us. God's active rule is now. And and the people of Israel had seen this in their past. That's the, the story of the Old Testament. It's the story of God's kingdom, of God's active rule. Wherever God is, his kingdom is there. And so Jesus saying the the time has come, the time is right now, the kingdom is near. Jesus is saying, because I am standing here in your midst, the king, to act on your behalf. God is now fulfilling his long promised, the the, the promise of the ages past is now being fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus tells us that this is good news. In verse 15, he says, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the the same word that was used. Good news is the same word we saw last week back in verse 1. 
that this is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. And now when Jesus first speaks in the gospel, Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the divine giver of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the beloved of God, the one who will please God in his actions. Jesus is the true Adam who withstands temptation. Jesus is God himself who says the kingdom of God is now because I stand in your midst. And so as Mark has built that description for us in these opening verses of his gospel, the command of Jesus doesn't seem nearly as strange to say, come and follow me. If you know all of that to be true about Jesus, then there is no other decision that can be made. If Jesus is, as he claims, as Mark declares, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King in their midst, then when he says, come, follow me, there is no other response than the response of the disciples. At once they left their nets and followed him. And yet, for us, perhaps more so than for the, the disciples, we feel like, well, but I'm not really sure that's, that's really the right way to kind of think about this. Don't we need a, a broader perspective than the, the narrow-minded disciples who lived in first-century Palestine? These Jewish men who only really knew one story of the world, waiting for a Messiah. We, see, we know, we think, we know better than they do. Because we've explored more of the world. We're connected to more people. We've heard of the world's religions. We've studied them in our, in our classes. And so we think, so for Jesus to say, come, follow me, well, we're okay with that as long as it's a command that's only given to the disciples, a command that's only given to, to other people. See, we don't like it if that's a command that, that becomes a, a blanket given to everyone, a blanket statement that says, I am the king of everyone. I am the, the Lord. I am the Messiah. You must follow me. See, to us, that feels narrow-minded. A sophisticated 21st century people. But don't you see that we're really misunderstanding the context then? We're really misunderstanding ourselves. Because someone who, who is in desperate need of forgiveness someone who is in desperate need of rescue. When the rescuer arrives, you don't argue with him. You don't say, well, you know what, I think I'll wait around until somebody else comes along to see if maybe they'll help me. No, when you're in a desperate situation, when you see your sin and your rebellion against God, and then God himself offers you a way out, you say, thank God for a way out. Thank God for rescue. So we think it's, we think it's narrow-minded of God to to, to close all the other doors and say, come through this one door, the door of Jesus. But that's not how it works. There was no door. There is no exit. There is no hope apart from the one way that is given to us. And Jesus stands and announces. And so, so yes, Jesus is making an exclusive claim, and, and actually it'll just keep getting worse through the Gospels. He'll say it over and over again. He is saying that, that he is the only way. He is the only rescue. But don't you hear the good news in that? That's what Jesus says. This is the good news of God. The kingdom is here. Follow me. There is rescue at hand. And so the disciples are, 
are doing the only thing that is reasonable. When the Son of God, when the King himself stands in their midst and announces the arrival of his authority and power, then the only response to the command, come, follow me, is to leave your nets beside the boats and to follow after Jesus. And so we've seen the conflict, we've heard the announcement of the kingdom, and then we've listened to the command of Jesus. Jesus says, come, follow me. Jesus is the one initiating this. Jesus is the one who comes to his disciples and says, follow me. Jesus is the one who steps into history to bring about this good news of God, this good news of God's kingdom. See, without Jesus' initiative, you and I would be left hopeless. You and I would have no path forward. We'd have no way out. We'd have no good news. Yeah, we might have the, the good advice of other moral teachers. We might have ways to, to try and correct what's, what's going wrong in, in small pockets of our world, but we'd have no hope that a kingdom that overcomes all of the, 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 everything that has gone wrong in our world, we'd have no hope that a kingdom has actually arrived. Jesus is the one who stands before us and says, come and follow me. Now, the, the surprise for us in reading through up to this point in the gospel the surprise to us shouldn't be that the disciples respond. Because Mark has pounded into us in just, in just a few short verses who Jesus is. I mean, actually, the surprise for us should be after Jesus uh, defeats Satan in, in the temptation in the wilderness, the surprise should be in verse 14 that, that it's just an ordinary next step, that Jesus is just walking along the Sea of Galilee. Because actually what, what Mark has prepared us for is a cosmic, cataclysmic event. The king is here. And yet, how does this king come? He comes inviting his disciples, walking along the Sea of Galilee just another morning. And, and even here in, in Mark's details, the details that he includes in this gospel, the, the story of, of Jesus calling Simon and Andrew, and then another set of brothers, James and John. He, he even, Mark is making clear that, that he's, he's building this based on an eyewitness testimony. I mean, he includes the detail here about Zebedee, the father of James and John, being in the boat with the hired men. Now, even though Matthew and Luke and John take more time describing the call of these disciples, none of them include that detail. Well, why does Mark have it? Because Peter, Simon, was there. He's told it to him. And so we can have confidence that, that this story is true, but, it, but it's there even just in the ordinary details of Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus meeting these men at their business place, at their vocation, that we find Jesus himself offering a command. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. I mean, their families, their occupations must be completely at Jesus' disposal. Jesus is their master and Lord. Every frame of their lives from this point forward should have Jesus at the center of their story. Jesus is the one that they now follow. And this was really a picture of discipleship. Discipleship not just for these first disciples, but for us. That everywhere we go, we should be following Jesus. If we've put our trust in him, if we claim to be Christians, then we should be following after Jesus. 
photographer Murad Osman has a, a series of photographs. He just started taking these. He's a professional photographer, and, and he posted them online, and, and people love them. It's a series of pictures that he eventually put into a book that's called Follow Me. Because when he would be out with his camera, his girlfriend would get impatient. And so she would grab his hand and pull him along to the next spot, and he would just turn and take a picture. And so every picture in this series is his hand out in front with her dragging him to the next spot. Now, some of them are, are, I mean, they're beautifully captured and exquisite pictures that the ones that are caught in the book were not just the mere her dragging him around. They are framed beautifully. But it started with just her impatience of, it's time to go. We've gotten enough pictures here. Let's move to the next place. And so every one of the pictures has her at the center of the frame and him following after her. And that's what your life as a Christian should look like. Sometimes you're probably being dragged along by Jesus, places where you think, I don't want to go here. Other times you're walking joyfully, and he captures the excitement of following after Christ. But Jesus should be at the center of every frame of your life. Jesus should be at the center of every decision you make. Jesus should be at the, the heart of our, of our personal and family relationships. That's what was called for in the call to come and follow Jesus. The disciples leaving behind their families to follow Christ. Jesus should be at the, the center of, the, of every one of our business decisions. Walking away from your nets is not a strategic, is not a positive business decision, but it's a strategic decision to place a greater priority on Christ. Jesus should be at the center of, of all of the decisions we make about our moral obedience. As Christians, your, your decisions should at times look different from the decisions of your friends who don't follow Christ. And at times they might even, to your friends, look like foolish decisions. Why would you make that kind of, of pursuit of moral purity the center of your life? Well, it's because I'm following him. I'm following Jesus. Jesus should be at the, the center of our spiritual devotion. Where does the, the frame of your life, if, if you were to capture snapshots, what does it look like? Is Jesus in the picture? Are you following him? Because that's the call that Jesus is placing on us. Come, follow me. Jesus is saying you must repent and believe the good news. Those are the commands that are given. Those are the summary statements of how do I respond to Jesus? Verse 15 tells you, repent and believe the good news. Now, these are, are biblical, religious words, to repent, to turn from, from going one direction and to make a U-turn, to, 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 to go a different direction. And so spiritually, it, it means to turn from your sin, from your own path, to repent and turn from sin and turn and follow the King, follow Jesus. Repent and believe. And that's the, the same command that is placed on, the, on everyone who hears the message. I mean, it's the, it's the way the apostles preach. It's the description of their ministry in Acts chapter 20. So this is after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. The apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 is describing his ministry. 
He's speaking with the elders of, of the church in Ephesus, and he, and he tells them in Acts 20, verse 20, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. In Acts 20, verse 21, he says, I have declared to you that both Jews and Greeks, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. I mean, the command that, that is given here in Mark's gospel, repent and believe, is the same command given throughout Scripture. Repent, turn from your sin, and believe the good news. And that's the same command that's placed on you right now. Repent and believe. They're the words of Jesus. Repent and believe the good news. Turn from your sin, turn from your hopelessness, and put your trust in Jesus. Now, we've warned of the, the context here of conflict in John's gospel. We've seen the, the martyrdom of, of James, one of these first four who follows Jesus. We've seen the, that theological marker that Jesus is in Galilee because Jesus came not just to preach good news. I mean, verse 1 of, of Mark's gospel says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a gospel that Jesus announces, and it's a gospel about Jesus. Jesus came to do more than just preach good news. Jesus came to be good news. Jesus is the announcement of God's kingdom. And how does this good news come to us? Mark's gospel is clear. This good news comes to us because Jesus himself dies in the place of sinners. Jesus himself gives himself as a sacrifice for those who follow him. So the one who places this command, this demand on you of follow me, repent and believe, is the one who is announcing it as good news. Yes, Jesus becomes your master, and so all of your decisions, every frame of your life needs to have him at the center. But he is a good and generous and loving master, the, the one who gives himself for his disciples, for those who follow him. Jesus dies to announce good news. Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, Mark wants to make sure we don't miss his wordplay here. He tells us explicitly, not only are they beside the lake, the Sea of Galilee, this freshwater lake in, in Galilee, not only are they beside the lake casting a net, it's because they were fishermen. They're not just guys who were out fishing. They were fishermen. This is their vocation. The other Gospels make clear. I mean, James and John have a father who's wealthy enough to not just employ them. It's not just Zebedee and sons. It's Zebedee and sons and the hired men who, who work with them. And so they are fishermen. And so Jesus says, you fish. I will make you fishers of men. Now, if you've been in a church, that should be a common phrase, a, a common description. Because what does this mean to fish after men, to be a fisher of men? It means to proclaim the good news, to announce the good news. I mean, you see the pattern? You, even in the midst of conflict, you hear, you hear the announcement of kingdom and you respond to the command of Jesus. And then the command is, tell others about this. John's gospel makes clear that, that, that Andrew couldn't wait to make sure Simon heard about this good news. Andrew is the one telling his brother, you're going to have to meet Jesus. And so when Jesus shows up and says, come and follow me, at once they left their nets and followed after Christ. See, as soon as you hear good news, 
you can't help but share it with others. And not just in the, like, click a little share button so that other people might see it in their newsfeed. I mean, share it with your life, with your enthusiasm, with your energy, with all that you are, giving everything for this command. All of your wealth, all of your power, all of your reputation is is thrown into this. When you hear good news, you have to share it. But do you hesitate? I mean, maybe you hesitate because of that that inner conflict that we've described, that, well, it just feels so narrow-minded for me to say Jesus is the only way. I don't really want to put people in a box. Don't worry, you didn't put them there. They put themselves in this box of rebellion against God, and God has offered a way out. You have good news to share, good news about God, good news about Jesus, good news about the kingdom of God. And so share this good news. See, once you've been with Jesus, once you've met him and you've heard this announcement, once you've seen who he is, then you can't keep this good news to yourself. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the one who pours out his Spirit. Jesus is the beloved of God. Jesus is the true Adam. Jesus is good news. And so share this good news. And so the commands are clear to you today. Jesus says, come, follow me. Will you follow him? Will you repent and believe? Will that be the pattern of your life, to turn from sin and trust in Jesus? See, once you have been with Jesus, you just have to share good news. Your life should be framed by his call. He's your master. He's your leader. At the Vacation Bible School at the church I grew up, the the summer ministry, the outreach to kids, uh, one year the the church hosted the theme of of Jerusalem, 30 A.D., Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. And so the leaders and teachers dressed in, you know, there are 20th century attempts at first century attire, and and my dad was given the task, I think mostly because he couldn't contain him in a classroom. He doesn't like to sit still. So he was given the task of just being the, the wandering itinerant storyteller. So he would catch kids at, at snack time or as they're going from station to station, and he would tell groups of kids the stories about Jesus. Well, in one of the times of, of announcing this good news and staying in character, he's telling it in the present tense, that Jesus has just passed through our town. Jesus is just in the next village over. And, and one of the little boys, a, a, a preschooler, who, who doesn't get the historical disjunction between the the pretend of Jerusalem 30 AD and the reality of living in the 20th century, one of the kids is excited by this good news. He hears that Jesus is just in the next town over, and he says, well, let's go see him. My dad has a four-wheel drive vehicle. He can take us there. Let's go. But don't you see? There is no other reasonable response. There is no other reasonable response to good news being announced than childlike faith that says, if Jesus calls, then I'll go. See, will you? Will you follow? Will you answer the call? Repent and believe the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has arrived. Jesus has come. See, the only appropriate response to good news is to follow Jesus. Will you follow him? Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I ask that you would give us faith to believe, to trust, to follow. Lord, grant repentance. 
uh, turning from sin and turning to Jesus in faith. Grant repentance to, to those who, who wrestle with this truth. To those who, who wonder where to place Jesus in the, in, the, in the context of their lives. Lord, let them see that he is their master and Lord. Let them acknowledge that to be the case. Give them the faith to believe. Lord, for those of us who have received this good news, let it, let it flow out from us. Let us with joy and excitement and enthusiasm pursue Jesus, following after him. Lord, we ask that this gospel, this good news, would be the, the driving force of our church and our ministries. Lord, we pray that this good news would be the encouragement that we need individually and personally. Lord, that we would have hope in the face of conflict, that we would hear the announcement of, of your kingdom and that we would respond to your command. Lord, give us faith to trust in Christ. And Lord, make the gospel known through Faith Church, through us as individuals. Make the gospel known through our Faith Explored ministry, which launches through our Pioneer Clubs, through our Sunday schools. Let the gospel be proclaimed with joy, with excitement, with urgency, because the kingdom is near. Jesus has come. He is our King, our Rescuer, our Savior. And so we pray in his name. Amen.